everybody read 17 to 20. going to bring on? Something bad. Something they asked for. Ahaz made the deal to get what? Assyria. So, what's God going to give him? You ask for it, you'll get it. Sometimes the greatest punishment God can give us is to grant our desires. And that's exactly what he does. God gives him Assyria. When Ahaz turned to Assyria, he was merely choosing the stick God was going to beat Judah with. That's about all it amounted to. And uh, the Lord would do what to get Assyria to invade Judah? Whistle. Yes. Whistle for the Egyptian... uh, uh, what fly and the Assyrian bee <laughs> it's amazing how easily God controls the universe all he has to do is whistle nothing really you know strenuous <laughs> um, and what does God end up doing with the Assyrians in verse 20 shaves yeah <laughs> he shaves with a, a hired razor now Ahaz thought he'd hired the razor to shave Israel and Syria. However, God used this razor to shave everything Judah had. You know, the head, the hair, the legs, and the beard, and anything else that needed shaving. Uh, because God's the one in control of that. So it was really de- devastating and disastrous. When and, and, and just think about this even politically. Ahaz hires Assyria to invade Aram and Israel. What happens when Assyria conquers Aram and Israel? Uh, Yeah, why not? What's the next one in world dominance? uh, You know, 101. You know, get the next little nation. Conquer them too. Never mind the treaty you made. Hey, even in our day, do elected officials ever care about keeping their treaties? You know, you pretty well know that you're going to be double-crossed on that. So, this hired razor ends up uh, shaving the one who thought he'd hired her. Comments and questions? Shane? When it says, it talks about Egypt and Yes. Uh, talking about with Josiah, is that what I'm talking about? No, I don't think so. I think it's just saying God can send for any army he wants to. Josiah would be quite a bit later than this. Other thoughts? Through 20? 21 to 25? In that day a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep. And because of the abundance of milk that they give, you will eat curds. For everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. 
In that day, every place where there used to be a thousand vines, worth a thousand shekels of silver, will become briars and thorns. With bow and arrows a man will come there, where all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for all the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for fear of briars and thorns, but they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where sheep tread. So, isn't this great? You get lots of milk and curds and honey. Wonderful situation for the land, right? Great prosperity? Is that what you're seeing here? More like the Great Depression. (laughs) Whoa. Curds and honey sound good to me. (laughs) Why would this be the Great Depression? like there won't be enough people left there for what even what little food there is there'll be plenty because there won't be enough left. Yes, there's two factors in this. Nobody to eat and nobody to keep the cattle from grazing as much as they want and you know the bees from roaming freely and producing honey and so forth. The land basically reverts back to jungle. You know, there's there's just, you know, nothing, nobody's there to keep up the land, so to speak. So, things uh, really become uh, just, you know, kind of a thicket uh, where they had been organized and there'd been, you know, whatever, roads and houses and so forth. Comments and questions? The devastating results of not trusting God, trying to do it their own way, backfired badly. Anything you want to say? He says in verse 24 that they, they will come with uh, bows and arrows because the land will become bright and horns. Does it mean what used to be farmland is now just hunting area? Maybe so, yeah. It, it's At any rate, it, there would, even if he's talking about taking people down, there's not hardly anybody to take down. You know, you don't have to come with much. Sarah? Okay. That's uh, an area that's so wild that you have to go armed. Maybe so. Yeah, that could be also. Yeah, good point. We continue right in the same context. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. said to him, take for yourself a large tablet and write on it in ordinary letters, swift as the moon, speedy as the prey, and I will take to myself faithful witnesses for testimony, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Barakiah. So I approached the prophetess, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said to me, name him Maher Shalom Hashbaz. But before the boy knows how to cry out, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Syria. Again, the Lord spoke to me further, saying, Inasmuch as these people have rejected the gently flowing waters of, of Shaloah and rejoice in reason and in the son of Ramaliah, now therefore, behold, the Lord is about to bring on them the strong and abundant waters of the Euphrates. Even the king, the king of Assyria, in all his glory, and will rise up over all its channels and go over all its banks. 
then it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass through. It will reach even to the neck. And the spread of its wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Okay. So he has uh, Isaiah take a, a tablet and write this phrase, swift is the booty, speedy is the prey and get witnesses to confirm that he had written this before the fact. When Judah's invaded, this will serve as a confirmation that Isaiah had prophesied the truth. And then he, uh, uh, through his wife, uh, has, has a son. And uh, what does he name him? That was pretty good, Caleb. Uh, Want to try that again? Yeah. This long, weird name that means, well, I think this is a good way to describe it. It's one of the commentaries. Quick pickings, easy prey. That, that's, that's a pretty good contemporary way of describing the meaning of that term. Quick pickings, easy prey. Meaning, Judah was going to be quick pickings, easy prey for the Assyrians. And the very name of Isaiah's son indicates that. Before the boy even can speak, Damascus, that is Aram, and Samaria, that is Ephraim or Israel, they're going to be carried away by the king of Assyria. Won't that be wonderful? Ahaz's plan worked to perfection. The Assyrians invaded and conquered their two enemies. We're home free. However, verse 6, inasmuch as these people have rejected the gently flowing waters of Shaloah, God's gentle stream and rejoice in Rezin and the son of Remaliah that is rejoice in the Assyrians conquering those two nations since they didn't want my plan and they rejoiced that their plan worked now therefore behold the Lord is about to bring on them the strong and abundant waters of the Euphrates the king of Assyria in all his glory (laughs) they wanted the Assyrians and God's going to bring Assyrians. It will rise up over all its channels, go over all its banks, and sweep on into Judah, overflow, pass through, reach even to the neck. You know, it's like they had hired the Assyrians to flood out Aram and Israel. But they couldn't control the flow of that water. It, it overflowed its banks. It got out of control and flooded on down into Judah and got all the way up to the neck of Judah. That was God controlling that. God says, you want the Euphrates? Remember, the Euphrates was the principal river in Assyria. So they'd hired the Euphrates River to do that flooding job and then it got out of hand. And uh, the water ended up where they didn't intend for it to be. Judah was in the very path of the flood she'd unleashed. (laughs) And so the flood reached even up to the neck of Judah. Basically, the Assyrians in 701 conquered all of the Judean countryside, virtually all the cities. Jerusalem alone was left. That's pretty much up to the neck. Sometimes, when we try to do things our own way, a simple way, Sometimes it works. Sort of. (laughs) Sometimes it actually happens the way we find it to happen. That doesn't mean we're home free. (laughs) You know, just wait. (laughs) 
The Lord will cause it to, you know, sting you back with a vengeance. <coughs> Comments and questions? <coughs> Sarah? The, uh, the Nile flooded regularly. Did the Euphrates... Not that I know of, but I don't know. Anybody know that for sure? You say no, David? I don't think so. I was just wondering whether it was normal for it to go out of its banks or if that was kind of... Not to go that far out of its banks, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, that was a major... Uh, <laughs> Pretty big flood. Yeah, man. That thing got completely out of hand. Other thoughts through eight? So many times it's like you think of what you want something to happen. I know I can say this very personally because it's happened so much in my life and how something in my life has happened that I did not plan for it to happen whatsoever, but it worked out to be beneficial towards me. And it's almost like if things did happen the way I wanted them, it never would have planned out that way. We should be so thankful for the fact that God knows us better than we do. Because if God wasn't continuously searching and looking for or helping us in that sense, we would be lost because if we lead ourselves, it's just like the blind leading the blind and both fall into the pit because that we honestly don't know what we need and God truly does and that's what he does. And I've seen it in my life and I think it's kind of prevalent here. Absolutely. Good point. Other thoughts? What? Why does he call him uh, or call the nation Emmanuel? Maybe it's an appeal to God to be with them. You know, they need the Lord with them. That's still a little cryptic. But that's maybe, the way I take it. Maybe as, as a statement instead of a oh God be with you type thing. Or a oh God be with us. More of, I think it's more of an, a plea. You see, you see this, see how bad things are getting. God be with us. Well, the Lord has some messages for several different uh, people involved in this. 9 to 15. Be broken, O peoples, and be shattered, and give ear all remote places of the earth. Gird yourselves, yet be shattered. Gird yourselves, yet be shattered. Devise a plan, but it will be thwarted. State a proposal, but it will not stand. For God is with us. For thus the Lord spoke to me with mighty power, instructed me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, You are not to say it is a conspiracy, in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy. And you are not to fear what they fear, or to be in dread of it. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread, and he shall become a sanctuary, but to both the houses of Israel a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over, and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many will stumble over them, and they will fall and be broken, they will even be snared and caught. So, look at what he says in 9 and 10 to the nations. What does he say? Shattered, 
shattered and your plans torn. Yes. Do anything you want. Bring it on. It's not going to work. You know, God's going to shatter them. Nothing that they devise, no plan that they propose against God's people will stand because God is with them. Going back to that Emmanuel idea. Um, that's a comforting thing. It's a, it's a threat to the nations that are the enemies of God's people, but it's a comfort to God's people to know that God dominates and there's not a nation in the world that can overthrow his people when God is with them. Comments or thoughts on 9 and 10? <clears throat> Referring to who? Referring to enemy nations. The Assyrians or whoever else. And is this as a uh, an offering of repenting and change your mind, be with the Lord, and this would be the result? No, I think it's just don't. The nation shouldn't get the big head. God will bring them down. You know, they, just because they gained this much of a victory does not mean that they can just do whatever they want to and they'll have success. And I would suggest the Assyrians in that they got right up to the neck and then God sent an angel to wipe out 185,000 of their soldiers in one night. <laughs> uh, gird yourself and be shattered. Um, I think it's kind of ironic that if we just look earlier in chapter 5, verse 19, about how the, the wicked say... You know, bring your destruction on. Why handle it? Yeah. And now God's standing here, bring it on. What, I've proven that I can do this game. Now, what are you going to do to me? Yeah. Yeah. It's fine with God for the wicked to plot and plan all they want to, and to arm themselves in any way they want to arm themselves. You know, what difference would it make? You know, they're nothing before God. It's it's totally you know. Child's play. And that should be encouraging to us. Very. If we have him on our side, what what is it that we're and that's what he's saying. He's saying, why do you trust God? God is God is with us. Had it not been the Lord that was on our side, you know. But what he is. <laughs> Well, in 11, this, I think, is the challenge for Isaiah and his disciples. What were they supposed to do? Not listen to the people? Yes. Don't you get caught up in the thoughts and mindset of this people who are constantly thinking what? It's a conspiracy. What are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? Don't fear what they fear. Don't dread what they dread. Reject the paranoia and the panic talk. Trust God. See, that's, that's what they kept coming up to. <laughs> is these crises in which everybody was all in a, in a panic and rushing out to make an alliance to fabricate another god or whatever. No, trust God. If you're going to be afraid of something, 
Fear the Lord. Let Him be your fear and your dread. Our problem is not that we fear. Our problem is we, we fear the wrong things. We're fearing man and we ought to fear God. You know, we get in a crisis, we lose our focus on God at the very time we need to turn to Him most. And that's what they were doing. Don't you be in fear of, the, of Assyria or of Ephraim and Aram or anybody else. Fear the Lord. He's the one that is the great one. Comments and questions through 13. Sarah and then Matt. So, God is telling Isaiah not to listen to the people? Isaiah and his followers, yes. So, not to listen to the people of Judah yes. who were saying, Yes. Matt. Could, he, could he even be saying to Isaiah, don't be worried when they call what you're doing the conspiracy? Because, you know, at the time when, when Ahaz and Ben is planning for Syria and Syria is conquering their enemies, it looks like a great idea. And Isaiah is sitting there announcing it. Maybe also on another level, he's saying, don't be worried when they call you a conspirator and call you, you know, uh, uh, don't be afraid of their threats. Could be, but I like my explanation better. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, could be. Yeah, it did. It ends up in the same place. I think you know what Aram and Ephraim, later of the Assyrians. You know, they were just constantly, I think, seeing, you know, all these warning signs of terrible things going on among the nations and what are we going to do? That one. Sounds a lot like uh, how, I don't know, like I've heard a lot of people say, you know, Islam is rising up or whatever, and they kind of look at that. I guess this could apply to that, you know, who cares, you know. We've got to do our job and not worry about the things going on in the world. And not try to do something demonstrating a lack of faith in God to deal with it. Turn to the Lord to deal with it. You know, we're tempted to even do something sinful because we got a problem and what are we going to do? Well, how about doing the Lord's way and trusting Him? Shane? I've got a question. Um, you said talking about Isaiah's followers? Yeah. I thought people were going to reject Isaiah. <laughs> they, were, they were, but there were some. There were some. Sure. Uh, for example, uh, verse 16, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. There were a few. Okay, so that, was this before he gave the message or after that he would get his followers to you, would you think? Probably during. Other thoughts? In 14 and 15, he's really showing what the Lord is. You know, he shall become a sanctuary. You know, he is a, a refuge, a fortress for his people, but to both the houses of Israel, a stone to strike, a rock to stumble over, a snare, a trap. They'll stumble, they'll fall, they'll be broken, they'll be snared and, and caught because they don't trust God. And so instead of God becoming their fortress in their rock, he becomes the rock they fall flat on their face and 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 break themselves over. That God will, God will either bless us or, or punish us. And for Isaiah, God was a sanctuary. For Ahaz, he was a stone of stumbling. Comments and questions? I like the dual nature of a lot of the images in Isaiah where 
where the, the mountain of the house of the Lord is it uh, it shoots up and all the people of the Lord flow to it, but it crushes all these things, you know, the stone of stumbling, but it's also the sanctuary for God's people. So I mean it just shows the, the power and the well, the all powerfulness of God. Amen. Other thoughts? 16 to 22. Find out the testimony. Steal the law among my disciples. And I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face in the house of Jacob. I will even look eagerly for him. Behold, I and the children, I and the children whom the Lord has given me, are signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts, who dwell in Mount Zion. And when they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? <coughs> to the law and to the testimony. To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no God. And they, and they will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished. And it will turn out that, that, that when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold the stress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. They will be driven away in darkness. Really helpful here. First of all, the thing they need is the testimony, the law verse 16. The revelation of God that needs to be bound up and sealed among us. It needs to be attached closely to us. That's what we depend on. That's what we trust in. And you see Isaiah and his followers uh, waiting for the Lord, trusting in the Lord. You might open that door a little bit again. Probably pretty warm back here. Um, And looking eagerly for him um, that there, there's this attitude of putting their hope in God and patiently waiting for Him. This is the attitude of Isaiah and his followers. But you look at verse 19. Now, now the others, what are they turning to? Humanism. Yeah, like fortune tellers, fortune tellers, and spiritists. Doesn't make a bit of sense. But here's the thing: you reject God, you've got to turn to something. You know you're not big enough to handle the pressures of living in the world. So, turn to the mediums and the spiritists. You know, he says, well, I consult the dead on behalf of the living. You know, what are, what's a dead man going to know about the issues of life anyhow? You know. When the Bible talks about mediums, what is it just talk about specifically? Well, probably a variety of things. I mean, I don't. Does somebody know that word specifically? Have a better definition. And generally, he's talking about communication with the dead. He's talking about like witchcraft. He's talking about astrology, that kind of stuff. I just, I just always wonder because the, cause the word medium. I mean, I guess it's just a change in the. English language since the Bible was translated into English, but I just never heard the word that word used in connection with sorcery and witchcraft. Uh, medium is one for speaks for someone else. I mean, it's it's the same root as an intermediary, which is someone who goes between two people 
who are, you know, having a discussion but won't talk to each other or something like that. So perhaps a spokesman for the dead? Right, exactly. The middleman, medium. Yeah. Okay. <coughs> so, so I, but, 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 I mean, realistically, you know, why, why turn to the dead? about these things. <laughs> but when you reject God, you'll turn to anything. And so, I love verse 20. I really think we need to appeal to this verse more. I don't know why this isn't, you know, on plaques all over the place. To the law and to the testimony. Those are our sufficient resources. That's what we trust in. That's what our faith's in. That's the yardstick of truth. That's how we know God's will. You just, you, we go to the law and the testimony. We listen to what God's word and God's will says and that's it. That's all we need. They can have all the mediums and spiritists and whatever else they want. We have the law. We have God's message. He says, if they do not speak according to this word, <laughs> they have no dawn. Hopeless darkness if they don't have the law and the testimony. We are, and we ought to be, the people of the book. We ought to not shrink back from very boldly identifying ourselves with the written revelation of God. That is how we know the Lord. That is how we know His will. That is the truth that we build our life on. And when they don't, it's not a pretty sight. They pass through the land hard-pressed and famished. They get hungry, and well, what do they do? <laughs> yeah, really smart, isn't it? They get mad at the Lord, of all things. As if they'd have just followed Him, they'd have been fine. And they look to the earth, distress, darkness, gloom of anguish. They love the dark, you know, the dark rooms for the seances or whatever, God's going to give them a dark, dark present and dark future because they don't have the law and the testimony, because they don't trust God, because they don't turn to the light. Without the light, there is darkness. I think this is a powerful passage. It's exactly what they needed to hear. They wouldn't listen to God. So what did they have? Pitch black. Comments and questions. Sarah. Um, in verse 21 it says as they face upward at the end what are they looking up or I know that the picture I got at first was that they're lying there and they're about to die because of hunger and they've been chased all over and they're looking up and their last act is to yeah, I think it's a contrast with 22. They look up cursing their king and God. They look down in his darkness, distress, and dismal failure. Okay. Question two. Verse 18. Behold, I am the children that the Lord has given me. That's also in Hebrews 2. Yes, it is. And so is verse 17. So how does that work there? Well, I think Isaiah is a prophet and Jesus is the greater prophet. What was true of Isaiah as a prophet is true in a greater and richer sense of, as, of Jesus as the greatest prophet of them all. Just like Jesus was the greater David, so he's the greater Isaiah or the greater prophet. Okay. 
so when we read it in Hebrews, should we sort of mentally tack on the the children that have been given to me by the Lord are the signs and wonders? Well, perhaps, but in, in the Hebrews, I think the point is Jesus identifies himself with his people. He becomes one with us, and so he trusts in God with us, and he has us as his children. So it's just kind of showing his identification with us. A little bit of a difficult passage in Hebrews 2 to see how this is used, because it uses both 17 and 18, but I, that's more or less what I've come to when I've studied Hebrews. Well, I think God uh, has given Isaiah and his children, like Shir Jeshub and that other one Caleb pronounced so well, <laughs> as signs and wonders, as as um, almost evidence, as as symbols for the people. Comments and questions on anything else in chapter eight? This last part is uh, Isaiah talking to his disciples, I guess. Or... Yes, Isaiah or God. Sometimes it's hard to tell between the two, as it often is with the prophets. You know, whether they're speaking in their own person or for the Lord, it's kind of almost the same thing. comments and questions alright you all have done really well and this is uh, the end of a chapter we're not going to get through the end of chapter 9 so my inclination is to stop here uh, we've also done relatively well I think I don't know we'll see how this goes uh, I did about 55 pages of notes of uh, outline I'm on page uh, almost to the bottom of page 17 so, I don't know that that always means a whole lot for me, but uh, at least I'm going to interpret it as a hopeful sign.